Every words. <laughs> uh, this is on. Uh, is there any other way for the non-grasping mind than being than being abiding in Brahma Viharas uh, or jhanas? It is said that the metta leads to jhana and jhanas lead to equanimity. And what are the relationships between jhanas and the Brahma Viharas? Although abiding is not the very very proper word for this. This is not the illusion of somebody abiding. I use it as it is in the Metta Sutta, sublime abiding. So this, like the uh, the jhana factors are the uh, you know developing the the factors to get get over the the hindrances. Like the jhanas are all positive. And they, and the hindrances are negative. So you have the the hin- hindrances as a as a uh, which holds you, that keeps your mind in a state of where it never you can't concentrate it because the the, the negativity is so tends to like doubt and uh, restlessness and dullness and anger and lust. Of course, uh, if those are Active in the mind, then they, then they, uh, you can't uh, uh, have any any kind of real concentration. And so, once the the then the the jhanas are ways of of say developing or relinquishing, like the, with vidaka vichara, the uh, the more or less the contemplation of it and putting you know learning to sustain. Or hold attention on to something positive, like with the metta practice, uh, you have to use a lot of what's vidaka vichara. Really, is uh, what you're doing. You're 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 sustaining or holding your attention on the on uh, the concept of metta, loving kindness. So if you if you keep sustaining and thinking about loving kindness a lot, then it uh, that will suppress the negative negativity. Or some people get negative about loving kindness. <laughs> but that that's also to be seen to to recognize that that uh, um, like sometimes the uh, idealism and and uh, that will will bring up negativity. Uh, so like. Like if it's, it's important to see, like to allow negativity into your consciousness and letting it go, rather than just uh, suppressing it. Like I did this experiment one time when uh, somebody's teaching, uh, talking about loving yourself and how everybody should love themselves, and and so this this kind of phraseology I found kind of kind of irritating. It, it all sounds so kind of, you know, embarrassing and and wimpy, wet kind of thing. So I think I love myself and and some the cynic in me kind of resists it. So I 
I, I'd take this, I'd say to myself, I love you. And then this, then the, then I'd watch the emotional reaction come up and there would be maybe, you know, I'd feel, ooh, I don't like this or, but I'd watch, the, I'd, I'd go to the actual feeling of it, you know, the kind of embarrassment or the aversion, intellect or emotional aversion to, to that statement. And, uh, and by doing that, eventually I could say it where no aversion would arise. If you just keep, like, it's like using something to, you're not trying to convince yourself that you love yourself, you're using the concept in order to bring up the, say, if, if you have a particular problem like this, I found it very helpful to, to use it in order to acknowledge the negativity, say, the, the kind of, the, uh, the cynical tendencies of the mind. Or the kind of the, the, that that kind of uh, negative reaction one has towards towards uh, maybe thinking it's too soppy or sentimental or whatever, but the aim, the aim to to not convince yourself, but to just watch what happens, and then by doing that, by allowing the negativity, by acknowledging the negativity in consciousness, you can let it go. And after a while, I could say, "I love you." And no negativity would arise. Try that sometime if you have. I mean, it, it's uh, because recognize in in the Dhamma, you're you're learning how to work with your mind. You're not trying to convert. You're not trying to convince yourself that Buddhism is right and that you should love yourself. And that you know, we're not trying to. You know, it's not trying to. To. Uh, make you agree with with us uh, and to become a Buddhist but it's it the all the teachings are there in order to liberate your mind and of course you're not going to liberate your mind if you just grasp the teachings and adopt the teachings as a kind of just a, a kind of blind uh, belief that everything the Buddha said was right and Buddhism is best and uh, kind of party line Buddhist, <laughs> that's not that's not going to liberate you. It might make you kind of, uh, you know, uh, committed to an institution, but it's not going to liberate you into nibbana. Then, uh, say in uh, Brahma Viharas or in jhanas, they say the the rapture and sukha are uh, happiness. So. So that uh, as you as you as your concentration increases, the vidakavidara, the kind of contemplation, thinking, and sustaining, that drops out, and you feel more just the sense of, of rapture or uh, a good feeling, and then mental happiness. Eventually, the 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 rapture drops away, and then there's the happiness, and then there's the upeka or ekagata or uh, kind of the the clear mind, the mind that is just uh, uh, has clarity. There's no one isn't one isn't clinging to happiness or to to uh, a kind of good feel physical feelings or raptures or one isn't trying to to get that or sustain that or hold on to it. And in the Brahma Viharas, the fourth one is upeka, which is uh, equanimity. And metta and upeka are both baramitas in the 
yeah, or the ten barometer, they're the last two barometers. Like uh, metta is very much, uh, you know, a, a way of, of uh, how I, I see it is it works very much on developing a non-aversion. But you're still thinking, you're still, uh, but you're, you're using thought without being critical. Like you you can have metta for, like using metta for um, yourself or your anger or maybe bad feelings or bad mood or, or whatever. Uh, you can have metta for it, which means that you acknowledge it's there, but you don't you don't uh, react to it with aversion. You're willing to feel maybe the bad mood you're in, and then that's a kind of that's metta, you know, loving kindness or a willingness to accept something for what it is. Practice with yourself, you know. This is what it means. Practice with yourself uh, to to be able to to learn how to accept maybe the the unpleasant state, mental states you have, or physical feelings, or illnesses, uh, pain, all that's, that's painful, unpleasant, both mentally and physically, metta is a very useful uh, form of meditation. Because it's, it's not, it's not uh, kind of saying it, you like it, or, or I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a way of, of developing, of accepting something and not not uh, proliferating with, with aversion, not creating aversion onto it. So like something unpleasant, usually we create, we, I don't like it and get it out of here. Isn't it if we're, if we're just reacting to something ugly or painful or unpleasant, we tend, we tend to just, the, the natural reaction, the reactiveness is I don't want it. Get it out of here. And then the so then the metta practice is a way of 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 accepting something that is ugly, or painful, or unpleasant. Uh, for accepting it for what it is, without say, without following this this reactiveness. You're getting beyond just the reactiveness, uh, the habitual reactiveness to to noting it, to accepting it for what it is. It's just what it is. It's not yours, as you're seeing. You're seeing the anatta of it. A bad mood is not. You're not saying my bad mood, or I'm, I'm in a bad mood. It's, there is this, maybe this, this mood. And then there's a willingness to accept it for what it is, and that's that's practicing metta towards your own, say, unpleasant mood. See, so it is, you're aware of it, you're acknowledging it, you're, you're not calling it anything, you're not saying it's mine, or you're not blaming anybody, saying it's your fault that I'm in this bad mood, or anything, you're just, it's, it's like this, this is the way it is, it feels like this, and, and, and with a kind of forbearance and patience and, and non-aversion, say, then the metta is like that. Then it can be more. Then metta can go into more kind of positive, uh, ra- rather than just remaining more non-averse. It also can go into more a kind of uh, 
sending blessings and goodwill and all that. But towards yourself, mainly, it's, it's, uh, uh, I found it more useful to think of it in terms of non-aversion and patience and acceptance of some, something that maybe you don't like about yourself at all. And, uh, and, uh, and that is, uh, and then you can resolve that, resolve those negative emotional reactions to it. Then upeka is equanimity. And, uh, uh, and that's, that's uh, an ekagata in the jhanas, ekagata upeka. Um, the mind is, is just uh, clear and balanced emotionally. There's, no, there's not emotional things going on. So there's just the, the kind of equanimity and clarity of conscious experience. In uh, remember, in the in the Western world, we tend to to be we tend to be uh, annihilationists, suppressing uh, things. So I mean, the the uh, developing the jhana factors, like jhanas, are sometimes people have very strong opinions about you should get the jhanas or not get the jhanas, and it's different. Different people have various uh, interpretations and and uh, and that of of this uh, and according to what they read or the way they practice, and uh, so that it gets very confusing for people who read the books and and uh, somebody will say you should get first jhana or fourth jhana or whatever and. And uh, some people make a lot out of out of this about getting jhanas, and other people have strong views that you shouldn't get them, and you get stuck in them, and uh, goes on and on like that. That's a, these are, but the the thing to do is to watch your own opinions and views or doubts about it. These things come quite naturally. They don't don't uh, don't grasp the concepts of them too much because. Uh, these, these, this is a, a natural process that takes place. You don't, you don't, uh, you, you're not particularly trying to get the jhanas as a kind of personal achievement. And that's where, oftentimes, the Western mind is. It wants to feel, you know, I've got the jhanas now, and and uh, I've mem- and this, they grabbed stream entry or something like that. I'm a stream enterer, and uh, it's. Uh, and to me, the whole point is when people start talking like that, I know that they're, you know, they're deluded because the, that's not that doesn't that isn't the way it works. You don't become a stream enterer. And if you want to get the jhanas, you, you, you know, you're going to you maybe get something that you call jhana, but it, it's still it's still fraught with the sense of of a, a personal attainment. And, and people get very opinionated and and uh, very it's like uh, zealous about these things. You can, you, people get very strong views 
Whereas, say, in, in the reflective side of Dhamma, you, you see that if, if you've got strong views, you know, you've got to get the jhanas, it says so in the suttas, and uh, you can, what you can know is that that, you know, is, is something in your mind, that the, uh, you know, that the feeling of having to get something you don't have is this way, or, or, you know, just the, 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 the way the mind will, will attach to, to the perception, to those perceptions. Then you can, if you keep to that level of reflection, then you, you, you know, that integrates and that works well in, in every way. So that, because uh, like in, in the, jhanas are really a relinquishment of the more coarse uh, levels of concentration to the refined. So that there's a, it's not an attainment, it's more of a, it's a relinquishing, a, a, a subtle relinquishing. So you're, you're not, uh, so, but, but one thing I, I found that to really, uh, to really see the, that, to notice happiness and, and to rapture and happiness, pity and sukha, uh, but not to, to attach to these things is, is something, you know, like wanting to, to be happy and, and rapturous. But, but uh, when, these, when these experiences do come, note them. Like piti or raptures, is more or less like a, 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 a kind of physical almost, a sense of, of fullness. And, and uh, it's not rapture-like, like kind of ecstatic feeling, but it's a subtle sense of, of well-being and, and uh, that's, that's, that's for quite physical. And then sukha happiness is is more mental. And I and I realized that I that happiness was something I tended to dismiss. That uh, in that um, I've always regarded it as not worth bothering with. So so that uh, that they, there's this kind of dedication to to dealing with dukkha suffering. And the feeling that happiness is is not particularly uh, anything worth worth giving two two seconds to. Um, so that, uh, but these these are like it's brightening and gladdening the mind and and uh, and the the body and you're bringing in your whole the the the, the physical the mental uh, existence into a, into a positive feeling. Which are conducive to constant, which are say become con- which are, are levels of concentration. But you you're not seeking that like in as an end in itself. You just that is just like an exercise or a, a way of developing the mental training, uh, so that your your mind has a flexibility and adaptability to reflect on the, on the dhamma because that's where you. Your will, you'll find liberation. You don't get liberated through the jhanas. You do through the through the uh, four noble truths. Some people want very much to 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 have happiness as a result of their meditation, just to sit and get get happy and get high, get 
rapturous or blissful. And uh, that that is, uh, you know, it's all right, but it's, it's not, it's, it's inevitably going to be disappointing. Because this realm we're in is not, doesn't allow for for any kind of sustained happiness in it. It's not this realm of the senses. Uh, it's basically a realm of unsatisfactoriness. So it, it's just not, it's not a, it's not a place to, to seek happiness as, as, a, as an end in itself. And so the, um, the, uh, the Buddha was teaching a way to use the existing conditions of, our, of the sensitive state for liberation. And, and just seeking happiness is not the way. Even though happiness is nothing to be despised or rejected, it's not, it's not a worthy goal in itself because it, it will only be a disappointing one. Even if you, you get happiness, you lose it. And so the, the happiness of Nibbana is called the highest happiness is, uh, is, is different than sukha. The fact that it is uh, the happiness of knowing the truth and not being deluded. It is that sense of, of relief, more a sense of like of, of relief and, and uh, peace and, and uh, knowing the truth. Absence of fear, absence of anxiety and non-grasping. Now that is then, uh, that isn't a, a condition, that is, that is the way things are when there's non-grasping. So Nibbana is, uh, is, is, is a realization of, of ultimate reality. It's not a it's not a condition that you create with your mind. Where happiness, the sukha is. It's uh, sukha is dependent on, on things, you know, supporting it and 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 allowing it to be there. But the nibbana, is isn't dependent on conditions. It's it's trans. It's you're you're not uh, whether things are going well or you're healthy and. Life is wonderful, or it's terrible, or whatever. It's uh, is is not uh, has no effect on nibbana. Realization of nibbana. In getting to know yourself, then you you can uh, you know what you know where your kind of weak points are. Where you it's it's very important for you to know this. To, for you to study yourself and observe. That's why we reflect, we notice what happens. Not, not as a criticism of ourselves, but just to, to know where we, we tend to fall apart, where we lose it, where we get lost. And then, then you can, once you know those points, then you can work from there. Once you see where the flaws or the weaknesses are, then you can then you can go to those. You, you, you're aware of where to put your, you know, there's a lot that isn't, that is strong in, 
healthy and goes well, then there's those, those, those little those points where we, that are weak, weak, weak spots. And uh, it's not like a, it's not, you know, we, we tend to, to be critical of ourselves for having them. You know, thinking that, that we shouldn't have them, that we should be, you know, strong and all the best. And then we, we can feel quite critical and uh, averse to ourselves for having these. But that's silly. I mean, we've all, we all have to learn to say, I am the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, and so forth. We have to work from what we have. You aren't, none of us are giving the, the, the best. God doesn't give us the best. He gives some people some pretty inferior material to work with, too. (laughs) Some of the people, you know, that really oftentimes have great disadvantages, uh, born with a lot of handicaps, they're the ones that learn the most from life. And some of the people that, you know, have everything, you know, the best, good health, appearance, beauty, wealth, easy life, they don't probably learn very much. (laughs) Because they can just float along in a comfortable state. Because it you know, if, if you can get out of these things and kind of, a, you, you do. It's sometimes when you, when you're, you know, you're, you're at the end of your tether, you know, it's just, uh, there's nowhere to go. You have to, you have to face something. There's no way out. Then you, you start developing. You start growing up. You start really understanding life. But in the, the Four Noble Truths, the teaching of dukkha and the ending of dukkha, I recognize that, that we're not trying to convince you that everything is dukkha. It is like a, like a kind of metaphysical position. We're not absolutizing dukkha, which some people do. Like I, one, one person I know was a monk for six, seven years, and and uh, did uh, all this Burmese meditation in Rangoon and Masi Sayadaw practices and where they, they the very, very strict, uh, very uh, highly, uh, very, very stylized and method of meditation. And uh, it's, it's a very, uh, it has, uh, it's a very kind of dried method, dried up method. It's, it, there's no devotion in it whatsoever. It's all just kind of this incredibly intense noting and concentrating the mind. And so, uh, and some people love this kind of technique because it's a, you know, you do this, then you do that, then you do this, then you do that, and it's all kind of laid out for you. And Western people, uh, you know, it's, it's developed from Burmese uh, culture which is highly devotional. You know, you go, I've never been to Burma, but I hear that it is incredibly devotional. And you go, the Burmese that you meet here in Britain, or, you know, they're, they've got tremendous devotion 
culturally instilled in them from toward the Buddha. And, and so this technique, I think, might be really good for Burmese, where they're maybe over the top. Uh, on devotion, you know, and they, they, they just they, 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 and then to cut through that just this indulgence in devotion, they develop this very kind of almost sterile technique. So this friend was doing this technique for years, and then he disro- He was, you know, he was with one of the great teachers there in Rangoon, and a couple of years ago I met him in San Francisco, and I asked. I said, why did you disrobe? And he said, it's too much dukkha. (laughs) 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 And he said, I just got depressed after a while, all those years contemplating dukkha. And and I said, but but that's not how it is, is it? I mean, uh, there is dukkha, but I mean, you know, there's life has a lot of joys in it and monastic life and all this it has its very positive side and, and he said well that wasn't his experience he he was he, he even though he was a monk he kept he lived in this special meditation retreat situation where they just did this method and uh, and the the this the grasping of the idea of dukkha at least for him i i doubt it, if the sadhus were teaching it this way but that's how he was picking it up uh, well, Westerners might interpret it, and and he just got. And if you just think about it, everything's dukkha, everything's impermanent, everything dies, everything's dukkha, impermanent, everything dies. It's all unsatisfactory. You know, old age, sickness, death. If you keep, if you keep kind of reiterating that, you're going to get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Because those are depressing concepts. I mean, if you're grasping those ideas, you just get depressed by them. But but recognize that that's that's not the the dhamma. It's not to grasp dukkha, but to to use dukkha as a as a as a kind of key that gets you in the door. Because it, it is the most common human experience. We all suffer. Every human being suffers. I mean, it's a it's and it doesn't mean you know, special kinds of suffering or, you know, extreme forms of suffering. It means just the suffering of, you know, uh, feeling uh, left out when when uh, when they're passing out the sweets or something. It's a, it can be... <laughs> it can be fairly trivial. <laughs> But it's still dukkha, you know, and, and it's still the first noble truth. You can still use it. You don't have to, to wait till you know, your house burns down and you have cancer and your, and your lover runs off with somebody else, and then, then this, is the, this is the dukkha. But the dukkha, see, and then, 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 the, then the paradox of it is that understanding dukkha takes you to uh, faith in the noble truths. It gives you, and faith is 
sada is is uh, there's a strong connection between suffering and faith. So that that's why that that uh, this 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 suffering is not just to be kind of dismissed or ignored and to seek some kind of momentary happiness, but something to understand because through understanding suffering then you you have the faith which takes you to uh, the joy and the peacefulness and ultimate realization. So it's not uh, Buddhism is some kind of pessimistic you know wet blanket sour grapes all is suffering. <laughs> Life is horrible. <laughs> in uh, in my experience with uh, Lung Po Cha, I saw that uh, that uh, there's a lot of joy in monastic life and and uh, a lot of uh, you know because you you're contemplating like the 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 goodness that comes to you the 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 generosity the the uh, all the you you you're reflecting on what's actually what what's happening in your life and and you're thinking here I am you know all these people come and offer food so I can practice meditation I can be a monk and you you're, you're contemplating you know the the quality of your life the 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 conventions of your life, uh, and if done in the in the right way, then it one feels uh, this uh, the gratitude or joyfulness uh, in in um, in, in re- recognizing the the goodness of people around you, the generosity and the and these kind of positive uh, reflections come through contemplating your life. Not just sitting on a mat and and trying to get the jhanas, or <laughs> or um, just doing a, a a very strict technique, hoping that it's suddenly it's out of the the blue. You're going to be hit by a thunderbolt, and, and you're going to be enlightened forevermore. There's uh, something in all of us that wants to get enlightened quickly and get it over with. <laughs> and get it all. <laughs> get it all done in one ten easy lessons and then and then not have then live the rest of your life in the in a state of bliss but that's not that's not the way it is it's, uh, life is 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 this way it's it's uh it's uh there's a lot of pain and and enlightened beings still suffer pain and sickness and all the rest you don't you're not getting out of it. You're not like it doesn't. Enlightenment doesn't mean you get out of it. It means you you know how to deal with it. You know how not to suffer from from the things that happen. And to me, that's that's much more useful and helpful and inspiring to me than thinking uh, I want out of this system. I want to play, go to a place where I'm never going to have pain again, and I'm never going to suffer ever again, and everything is fair and right and and I'm treated properly, and and I never have to be frightened of anyone, and and never have to uh, experience uh, meanness or unpleasantness. Where everything is 
is like the Jehovah's Witness heaven. It is the where everything is is nice and beautiful and fair and just and wonderful. And uh, you know that's like a child's uh, paradise, isn't it? You know where there's mountains are made out of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody, you know, and the deer come, you can play with the deer, and the lions come and, and uh, cuddle the lambs, and it's all <laughs> sweet. <laughs> meant, meant, uh, that is, that's a kind of fantasy realm we can create. But, but, in, but life is like this. It's, 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 it's hard going. It has a, it has a lot of, of uh, challenges in it a lot of difficult passages, a lot, it's an ordeal. It's, it's, uh, it's tough going, living as a human being. <laughs> but it's the kind, but it's the kind that the, you gain your strength from, if, you're, if you know how to relate to it, how to work with it. You know, like a, a child that's just spoiled, you know, where the mother just wants to I don't want my darling ever to suffer, and I don't want my little darling ever to experience uh, pain or sickness. Uh, I just want my little darling to to live in a realm where he or she is just everything is is nice and protected for them. And and little darling grows up and doesn't know how to you know collapses. The first uh, somebody looks at them cross-eyed, they just collapse in total, uh, you know, anguish, because they, they don't know how to relate to, to, the, to the toughness of life. They've been too protected. There's a story about the, I think it's like a butterfly, you know, they, they saw this butterfly trying to to break out of it, it wasn't a butterfly yet, but it was in that state where it was breaking out of its cocoon, struggling desperately to, to get out and struggle, struggle, struggle. This person, oh poor thing, all help, and took away, helped the break off the cocoon, the butterfly got out. But it didn't have any strength and collapsed and died. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's the struggle. <laughs> we need the struggle. We need, like, on a meditation retreat, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's good that you have to struggle with yourself, because you have to, you know, that struggling, that, that kind of, of uh, using, using the situation to, to, to struggle and to, to learn how to, to do things maybe you don't feel like doing, or enduring something that you're you're tired of, or fed up with, or just, you know, staying when you want to run away, or, or keeping silent when you want to talk, and all this, this is a, this kind of uh, thing is, is good training for us. It gives us a sharpness that we don't have if, if life is just, you know, following the easy way out and, and, and seeking just comfort and pleasure.
Right, but that, that the struggle needs to be combined with wisdom and reflection, sati. Because at first we do it maybe all wrong. <laughs> we try too hard. And, but then, then we reflect on, you know, you can do it. You don't need to do it that way. You know, like, there's a subtlety, like in developing samadhi, it's a subtlety of the mind, isn't it? You can't just will it like that. Samadhi. There's no way, you know, the more more willful you are, the less, you know, just you just get a headache. You just, you just your head bursts. So it's, uh, and, and yet we all started out doing that. I remember, you know, so like this, learning to concentrate on my breath and uh, getting a headache from it. And just feeling so frustrated, I got to hate uh, uh, mindfulness of the breath because I was, I was just so willful, you know, and pushy, uh, and it just didn't work. No way was it was it uh, could I concentrate my mind through through just through that kind of uh, will willful approach. And yet I had to do it that way. That's the only way I knew how to start. Uh, that's how you had to start. You did, I didn't, I wasn't, I was a coarse person. I had to start from being coarse before I could to realize this, more the subtleties of, and, and find better ways of dealing with things. So, I mean, it's not that, you know, you, that we, that's where this reflection, we watch and see what works, and we, we acknowledge, not judge. We're not. We're not saying I'm. I'm a willful person. I mean, sometimes we, we, we put too much effort. We try too hard, or we, we're too, we, you know, we we're pushing too hard, or something that need that that you know, like is, needs a subtle movement of the mind. Like in developing uh, uh, the five indriya, the, the uh, faith and wisdom and the effort and concentration with sati, with mindfulness, there's a subtle balance all that, between those, between sada and panya and virya and, and samadhi, and that you only realize through, through, uh, sat, through mindfulness, through reflection on it. Because you can't make yourself have faith or as an act of will. No, there's no wisdom if you think I'm gonna I'm gonna have faith in the Dhamma, and mm-hmm. you know, then the, the wisdom comes re- really through realizing that that faith isn't isn't something you can will yourself into having, or the virya or effort isn't uh, isn't just bloody-minded effort, not just you know willful pushiness, but it's, uh, it's the right amount of effort. That's where you take sati, 
Now, what the amount of effort you need to sustain to bring your attention to the nostrils and sustain and hold your attention on just the inhalation exhalation that's it's a, it's a, if it's too much you can't sustain it like some effort like I like say lifting a log onto a lorry you need a to put forth enormous effort to just lift something very heavy and put it somewhere else. But you can't sustain that effort. Is that kind of effort good for just doing something in, in, in a moment? You just need it for that kind of activity. But the, the kind of effort for in this to balance with the concentration is, is sustainable effort effortless effort. The balance, balance, uh, it becomes balance rather than extremity. Balance with the uh, concentration. <coughs>